friends. Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. God created the heavens and the earth, and the Spirit of God hovered over his creation, brooding like a mother hen. Then came light and sky and land and seas and vegetation of all kind, and then came the sun and moon and stars. Then the creatures of the sky and seas, then the animals on land, and then us, human beings, image bearers, made to reflect the very beauty and nature of the creator God. And it was good and very good. We were made from beauty and glory, and we were made for beauty and glory. The Bible says that God walked with this male and female in the cool of the day. He shared every bit of himself with them. I want you to think of that. God put no restrictions on himself in regards to human beings, and he gave them almost every bit of creation. The only thing he withheld from them was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He gave us meaning and purpose. He gave us potential of both the earth and of partnership with him and each other, but it wasn't enough. The original human beings were deceived and they grasped for more. They took the forbidden fruit and they ate it. Their eyes were opened. They did receive knowledge, but not knowledge unto life. They were suddenly aware of their nakedness, and they did what all human beings have done since. They tried to fix it. They covered themselves with fig leaves, and then they did what all human beings have done since. They hid from God. And then they did what all human beings have done since. They blamed God and each other. Then God's word came true. The consequences of sin is death. He said, surely you will die if you eat of this fruit. And they saw the death of fellowship with God, the death of the future and dream of time in the garden with him, the death of their wholeness, the inner wholeness that we were created with was broken at that moment and ultimately the death of their bodies. So what does God do? God provides for them a garment. He covers them. This garment though, which is interesting, it was his mercy to cover their sin and shame and nakedness, but it also served as a reminder, right, of the loss of innocence, the results of rebellion. It's a reminder of their sin, guilt, shame, and impending death. And friends, human beings have been passing this garment from generation to generation ever since. Since that day, we've all lived under the knowledge of our sin, guilt, shame, and death. And no amount of wealth, no amount of comfort, no amount of therapy, no amount of podcasts or self-improvement can remove this haunting knowledge from us that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that we have shame and we have guilt and someday we will die Human beings left the garden and entered the wilderness, going from life 
to death. And just like any garment, we begin to get used to it, right? And even treasure it. How many of you had a parent uh, who had a, a, a favorite shirt to watch sports in or something like that? And what does it do? It starts to wear out, but it gets gross. But the grosser it gets, the more comfortable it is with them. And there's holes in awkward places and all of that stuff. And I, I love the Seinfeld joke where he said, men don't throw away underwear, they just disintegrate. <laughs> So they used to like blow them like dandelion spores into the world. This garment we are given, even though we weren't originally meant to wear this thing, we come to identify with it. And we come to think that there isn't any other way to be in the world. And we look around and we justify our garments because everyone else is wearing their garments. And we forget that we weren't made for this and we're reminded everywhere we look of the specter of death hanging over our lives, both spiritual and physical. And all of creation is groaning under the weight of this reality of sin, guilt, shame, and death. And this would have been hopeless, but Jesus came. Can I get an amen? Jesus came. The word who was with God in the beginning took on flesh and blood. He became like us as humans so that he might rescue us from sin, guilt, shame, and death. He took on flesh and he took on death. But not only that, the scripture describes when he was born, what does Mary do? She clothes him. Right? That's such an obvious thing. Why would they mention that in the scripture? Of course she clothed him. He's a baby. He's a human. And yet the scripture wanted to make sure we make this connection between Jesus and the first humans that he received our garments. The one who knew no shame, who had been with the Father, eternally existent, came to earth and he took on the garment of shame that we brought into the world. She clothed him. What does he do with that garment? Jesus takes it into the world. He lives the life we couldn't live. He dies the death we couldn't die on the cross. And on Easter day, where we're at today, where do we find ourselves in the text? We find ourselves back in a garden. Isn't that fascinating? A garden tomb. Jesus lies in the tomb in darkness. This man who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Right? What happened in the original garden? The, the human beings grasped to be like God. And Jesus, though he was in the very nature of God, did not grasp like the original humans. But he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus fulfilled the original mission and purpose of human beings. And isn't it fascinating, like the original human beings, they had everything of God. He says, there's nothing of me that I withhold from you. And yet we find them grasping for their own. But then we see Jesus, he says, I only do the things I see my father doing. If Adam and Eve had done that, there would be no sin. We'd still be in the garden and things would be great. And yet Jesus comes as the final Adam, and he dies this death. He becomes obedient to death, even death on the cross. And luckily for us, the grave couldn't hold him. In that garden tomb, he emerges from death to life. And there's this thread, right, from one garden to the next. In John 20, he says this. He writes about the resurrection. He says, so Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looking at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separated from the linen. When Jesus exited the tomb, what did he leave behind? 
his grave clothes, his garment, this garment. I think it matters that the scripture mentions this because we have another reference I'll say in just a second that shows the difference when Jesus came out of the grave, he left behind the garments of Adam and Eve. On the cross, he took those garments and he nailed them there. He canceled out every statement and curse and death over that reality. And he walked out of the grave, not the same as he walked in. He had a resurrected body. He had a new reality. I believe that in the resurrection, he shed the guilt, shame, and death of humanity, of those garments. And it's interesting because you say, well, yeah, that makes sense. Of course, he took off his grave clothes. When Lazarus came back to life, what happened? He walked out of that grave with his clothes still on. They said he still had his grave clothes on and he was bound hand and foot. Because Lazarus wasn't resurrected. He just came back to life. He was still bound to death. He was going to die. Jesus had not yet died for his sins. So he was still bound to his garments of sin. And Jesus was totally different. His resurrection, he walked out free of those things. Mm, Can I get an amen on that, somebody? There we go. Yeah, come on. This makes so much sense. Then you start to read the New Testament and you realize how much in the New Testament it is about clothing, this new life, this new creation, which requires new garments. He says to put on Christ, put on his righteousness. That Greek word, it's putting on clothing. And it's fascinating, the Greek word for garment in Genesis is the same word uh, 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 for garment in John 20. It's the same word of garment for uh, the original Mary clothes Jesus. It's this thread that goes all throughout the Bible that we say something happened in the garden that we received these garments and something happened through the resurrection that we shed those garments. 1 Corinthians 15 has this in the resurrection narrative, what the new body will be like. We will clothe ourselves with immortality. The the perishable will be clothed with the imperishable. The change of clothes for Jesus out of the tomb recognized a change of nature. This inward change and this outward change. And so we have to know today that through the resurrection, you've been spiritually reclothed You've been given fresh garments. The old has gone, the new has come. That's part of this new covenant he's given us. Through the resurrection of Jesus, we come out of death and into life. We actually have the opportunity to shed our grave clothes, to let go of those things. That this garden curse, the original garden curse gets reversed where they left life and entered into death. We can leave death and enter into life. And there's more. There's actually hope for life after death. 1 Corinthians 15, I want to read to you. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Isn't that good news? We are all headed to a change. The best change you can ever imagine. All the change you couldn't do on this earth and you couldn't will and you couldn't work toward will come to fruition in the new age. We will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up into victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, which was dealt with on the cross, and the power of sin is the law, which Jesus fulfilled with his life. So thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. (laughs) 
Therefore, my dear brothers, what do we do with that? Stand firm. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Not sin, not shame, not guilt, not death. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord from beginning to end because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Your labor is not in vain. This world is not going to hell in a handbasket. This world will get swallowed up in the victory of Jesus and there will be a new heaven and a new earth and we'll get new bodies in a place where there will be no more death, no more sickness, no more tears. No more injustice. Amen? Mm. Amen. Perry gets it. (laughs) Friends, you are destined for life. This is where you're heading. You're destined for glory. You're destined for wholeness. All that has been broken, all that has been marred, all that has been spoiled. The Bible says you will receive garments that do not spoil. They don't decay. They don't rip. They don't tear. And the beauty for this is that it can start now. Right? It will be fulfilled there, but it can begin in the here and now. You don't have to wait till heaven to start to receive the wholeness that Jesus has for you in the resurrection. He can swallow up your death. You can trade your garments for new ones. Jesus takes filthy rags and exchanges them for new ones. And he doesn't say, hey, get them as clean as you can and bring them to me. He didn't say, hey, send them through the wash, keep working, use some stain stuff. No, no, he's like, bring me the worst you have. Bring it to me the way it is, because I know it already. You can't hide from me. <laughs> bring it, and I will cleanse it. I'm going to invite the band back up, and we are going to wrap up. Because of the resurrection, I have two invitations for you and a reminder. The first invitation is that you can come to Christ and exchange your garments of sin for new clothing. You couldn't walk in this room a radical sinner like Paul. You can walk in this room a doubter, a cynic, someone who has made a wreck and mess of your entire life, of your marriage, of your children, of your business, of your relationships, and right now you can offer all that to Jesus and he will trade it. He'll trade it for new life. He'll trade you death for resurrection. That's what he does. He swallows up death and he produces life. If you've been living under the weariness and the heaviness of these garments, in a moment you can exchange them for new life. The Bible says all you have to do is repent, which sounds like a heavy word, but all that means is turn around. The way you're going is the way of death. Turn around to the way of life. Receive the Holy Spirit who's the marker of new life and new creation and something will happen inside you. And you'll be working it out the rest of your life, but you will be transformed here and now, and you will receive the full payment later. So that's if you're in here and you've just never given Jesus your life, you've never done that exchange, I want to invite you, today's the day. The world's too dark, things are too hard right now to keep walking in your old clothes. Leave them behind. You come out of the tomb, Jesus like, leave them there. I got new stuff for you. The second one is you've been saved. You've met Jesus. You've been converted. And yet you've been wearing your old grave clothes around. Somewhere along the way, somebody says, Jesus died for your sins and to make you feel guilty for the rest of your life. 
Like, like we walk around feeling guilty and we walk around like Jesus requires penance. Like he requires these hard things and you carry this backpack with all your stuff around. He's like, no, 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 no. Go back in the tomb and leave it. You come out with the stuff. He's like, no, 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 go back, leave it. That, this, this thought of the way being narrow means nothing gets in but you. You don't get to bring your sin into his kingdom. You don't get to bring your shame and your guilt and your mistakes and your personality. Like all that stuff. He's like, leave all that behind and become new. It's not just your wealth that gets lost, right? It's everything you have. The only thing you come with is you. I just want to tell you, Jesus didn't die to make you feel guilty. He died to free you from your guilt so that you would be free. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Amen. He died to cancel your guilt and sin and give you something new. The last thing is a reminder. And this is for those of you who are Christians, you're like, I exchanged my grave clothes. Man, I'm walking in personal freedom. And yet my labor feels fruitless in these days. That child I'm praying for, my marriage, the world, I'm watching Nashville shootings, I'm seeing all this crazy stuff, Lord, does any of this matter? And Jesus wants to tell you this morning, your labor is not in vain. Your intercession for your child, it's not in vain. It's not in vain. The things you've lost in this world, your personal losses and griefs and struggles, he's like, they haven't just disappeared, they've been planted in my kingdom and you will receive payment with interest in the new world. You know that Jesus pays interest on your losses? He's like, anything you lose, I will not fail to give you back with return. Amen. So some things I know we're going to wait on Jesus that those things won't happen until then. But I'm just going to tell you, when you get it, it will be worth it. That day, it will be worth it. But also the people that we've lost. Some of us in this year, we've lost friends, family members, spouses. People have lost children. Our community's been hit by suicides of teenagers. I just want you to know we don't lose people. They get planted in the kingdom. We have hope. We don't mourn as those with no hope. We believe that God will return to us everything we have lost. He's paying attention. He's keeping note. God is keeping score on the world. And when we get to see him, he's like, I just want you to know I have everything for you. And more. So stand firm. Stand firm when so many are falling from the faith in these days. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Paul says, not death, not struggle, not persecution. Not Jesus took all the mockery and insults on the cross so that you could stand firm. I want to ask you to stand to your feet. So I just want to say, if that's you today, if you're one of those three, would you just receive? <laughs> you just go like, God, I receive this promise. I want to have what you say is available to me. I want to know the power of your resurrection. That's what Paul knew. Paul says, I want to know you and your sufferings that I might have resurrection power. I want to know you, Jesus. Isaiah 61, Jesus says he's going to do this great reversal, right? The spirit of the Lord's upon me to proclaim freedom for the captive, to bind up the broken heart, to release those who are in darkness. And he says this, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. So Jesus was always able to locate what's the Father doing in the world, right? What's happening right now? If you could say, God, what's happening right now in the world as things are in chaos and there's so much brutality and there's war and death and addiction, 
all this crazy stuff, if you could see with spiritual eyes, you would see God running around the world with crowns of beauty trying to place them on people's head. You would see him with big jars of oil and gladness saying, I just want to pour this over you. You would see him with fresh garments of praise. He's like, take off your weariness and your heaviness. Let me put this on you. So what should the church be doing in this day? We should be running around the world with God, with crowns of beauty, trying to set them on people's heads. We should have jars of oil saying, we want to just pour this over you. God loves you. Your sin is nothing compared to his righteousness. He will swallow up all of your death and loss and return it to you, God. We just want to join you in this work. And then what happens, because of that, I delight greatly in the Lord. This church delights greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in God, for he has clothed me in garments of salvation. He's arrayed me in a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and a bride adorns herself with jewels. We have Jesus, the bridegroom, and we have the church, the bride. So our goal in this age is to make the church beautiful again, to adorn the body of Jesus, his bride, with jewels so that she would shine like the stars in the heaven, that we would be a city on the hill, and that people who are far from God would come in and receive resurrection, new clothes, new name, new purpose. And guess what, friends? This isn't our work, for as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. This isn't a heavy burden for us. This is come with me and watch me do what I do. That's what the Father says today. So I'm going to pray. Will you close your eyes? Jesus, we receive today your resurrection, not just for the world, but for us for my heart, for my life, for my story, for my family, for my children, for my neighborhood, for my city, for this state, for this nation, for the world. We receive today the power of resurrection which reverses death and sin and guilt and shame. So we just say yes to new clothing, God. Would you come and clothe us with praise and righteousness and salvation? And Lord, would you come in these days and bring revival on the earth where we see hundreds and thousands and millions of people come in to the kingdom because it's so beautiful. They're drawn. They can't stop it. So we love you. We bless you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Friends, um, Happy Easter. We're going to shoot some cannons here in a second. So I, I just want to give a little bit of instructions. You're here for cannons too, I know. So you're going to twist the bottom and it's going to shoot up. You're not going to point it like this because it will, you know, take somebody's eye out. So if you've got kiddos, make sure you kind of help them hold it up high. And then as we always do, we like to think of Easter as the wedding banquet. So as you lead, leave, there's cupcakes and punch. We want to feel like a wedding reception. Go out there and glory in the resurrection. Enjoy, laugh, feast. I pray that today would just be such a day of life for you. Uh, so let's sing. When the time's right, the kiddos will come back in. We'll hand out the cannons and we will celebrate. Amen.